Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to episode 119 of Growth Marketing Today. I'm your host, Ramley John, and I can't believe it's already December, right? It's December of 2020. If you're listening to this anytime in the future, that's when this episode is released. But today, I'm going to be talking about the number one question that small business owners really want to know. What works? What works in marketing? What works in hiring? What works to manage time and increase productivity? What works to sell more, earn more, and drive more results? That's where Tara McMullen comes in. She created What Works. It's a podcast and paid community of small business owners getting real about what's working and what's not as they manage their businesses. Today, we're going to be digging in how she started and grew a paid community. If you're interested about building a paid membership business, this is where it comes in because Tara has built a successful one. In episode 119, you learn first how content marketing is different from building a community. Second, how Tara and the What Works teams onboards new members to make sure that they're seen and heard and that they stick around and keep paying for a long time. And third, the right amount of content mix to make sure paid members keep coming back over and over again. Before we jump in, I've created a free growth cheat sheet literally with all the tips that Tara shares in this episode in a one-page PDF. Essentially, why take notes about this podcast when you can just steal mine, get it for free. I grow today that FM forward slash 119 or find that link in the description. Get it now because when I publish the next episode, this week's cheat sheet will be gone and you don't want that to happen. I also want to thank those who made this episode possible. Now, this folks helped cover the cost of hosting and marketing tools so I can focus on getting amazing experts like Tara on this show. Thanks to 42 Agency. 42 Agency works with high-growth B2B SaaS companies, helping them build and scale revenue and marketing operations that accelerate demand generation and pipeline growth. To learn more and get $500 in free consulting time, visit them at growtoday.fm forward slash 42. That's 42 the number. Or find that link in the description. Well, enough about me. Let's jump into my chat with Tara. Hey everybody, I'm excited to chat with Tara all about building community and what she's working on with, with what works and other things uh, related to that. But I am excited to chat because I, I, I'm not, I don't have, I don't know that much about community building and Tara is, uh, the Twitter, the Twitter realm has, has said that she is one of the experts in this realm. How's it going, Tara? How are things with you? Things are great. It is Friday, so I'm excited about that. At least when we're recording this, it's Friday. So I'm I'm stoked about that. And I am stoked about this conversation. Yeah, I'm stoked about the week as well. It's been <laughs> a long week. But yeah, I'm stoked about learning. This this is something that I, I jumped in because I, I like I said, I'm not that familiar with, with building communities and growing it. But before we talk about that, I, I just love talking and just warming up the conversation. And you said you're an avid hiker and uh, climber, and I'm curious what's what's been your favorite hike or destination that you've been to to do that. Yeah, so I think the fir the first thing that comes to mind is sort of what I consider my home uh, national park um, here in the U.S., uh, which is Glacier National Park, which is not in the state that I live. It's not even in the region that I live, but it's where my husband's family is, <laughs> and and it's my first national park. It was the first place that I ever went to uh, considered a national park, and it was the first place where I was like, oh crap, like the world can look like this. It's not just <laughs> postcards. And, um, and so Glacier National Park is a place I have been now many, many times. It's where we got married. Um, and it, it, and it feels like home, but last summer we did uh, sort of a classic hike in Glacier that I hadn't done yet called the Highline Trail. And the Highline Trail is this amazing, fairly easy, but pretty long trail that goes along uh, the crest of the mountains. It starts right on the Continental Divide. Uh, and then the, the first mile or so of the trail is blasted into the side of, uh, blasted is the wrong word, but it is, it is carved into the side of the mountain such that there are ropes to hold onto. And then there's like 
a 3000 foot drop on the (laughs) the one side. And the first time that I had been to the park, like they, my, my family pointed it out to me and I thought, oh my God, that's, that is terrifying. I could literally never do that. And so last summer being, it's actually, it's been almost exactly a year now being able to conquer that trail and doing it and just having the time of my life was so incredible. So that's one of those like peak hiking experiences for me, but just in general, that park is where I feel at home and, and it's just my favorite place on earth. Just you describing a 3000 foot drop. I'm scared of heights. Like, was, was it like nerve wracking? Just like looking down on the side. So the first, so I've, I've actually stepped foot on this trail a couple of times. I've only completed it once the first time. Yes, it was nerve wracking. And we were, we were talking about climbing earlier and like, yes, I'm a climber. And I, I'm always like, when I talk to people about climbing, they're like, Oh, I'm scared of heights. I could never do that. I was like, I'm scared of heights too. <laughs> like that's, that is the motivation you need to climb to the top, right? Because, because then you get to be done and you don't have to be high up anymore. So yes, um, the, the drop was nerve wracking the first time, but then, you know, getting out onto the trail, the trail is actually pretty wide. I make it sound, everyone makes it sound way scarier than it actually is. Um, but it was, it was a really good, it was one of those kind of mental challenges that it is real and it is, it is a real physical challenge, a real mental challenge. And also it is completely doable so that as you're pushing through it, you're realizing this is totally reasonable. I can do this. And it's one of those kind of lessons that just goes with you through the rest of life too. (laughs) So it's, it is, yeah, it's, it's a great experience and I highly recommend it to, to anyone who gets the opportunity to do it. And I'm just, I just quickly Googled that. That's in Montana or Washington. I'm Mm -hmm. not, it's Montana. Montana. All right. Perfect. We'll definitely make that a trip one day, like a must, must do. When traveling is a thing again. <laughs> yeah, when traveling is it again. I'm based out of uh, Toronto, Canada. So hopefully when uh, the, the oh, border opens yeah. up. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I that blows my mind that the border is closed. Yeah. Yes. Are you, where are you based? I should have asked that earlier. Are you, in, you said you're not in Montana. You're just like your ne- neighbor. No, I'm in Pennsylvania. So oh, I'm Pennsylvania. just a little bit south of you. Yep. All right. Okay. But let's talk about that. Like, co- the reason why I got interested in community is like everybody that I've talked to is like, oh, community is is a great way to to build a mode around your brand. And especially with COVID, like when things shut down, um, people have started talking about online communities. A lot of the, the conferences that were supposed to be uh, face-to-face became online. Uh, for you yourself, you also built this amazing community with What Works as a podcast. Maybe you can just introduce yourself uh, a little bit to, to my listeners, like... What what is your background and how did you how did what works uh, come about? Yeah, so I guess it's, it probably would uh, a good place to start is to say that I have been in love with online community mm. since the first time cool. I got online. <laughs> you know, when, uh, which I think back in the day, I think my family started on Prodigy back in the early wow. '90s, and then there was America Online, and with all of those sort of closed um, internet. Uh, providers, there were forums just like there was in the open internet at that time as well. And I was fascinated by the idea that you could get online and talk to people who had the same interests as you or were from the same place as you or were from completely other places uh, that you had never heard of before, you know? And I can remember being in the Star Trek uh, forums on either Prodigy or AOL and just just being in awe of the opportunity to gather with people online. And so it's been something that has been a part of my life for almost 30 years now in one way or another. Um, But for me, it's been something that I have been doing um, as a business or in, in sort of in coordination with my business for about 10 or 12 years now. Um, And I, I, reflect often that if i you know if i didn't have to work if what like what would i be doing if money was no object like the thing i have most wanted to do for so long is just to hang out with people online and have great conversations mm. and i have created 
a situation in which that is literally what I do for a living. So whether it's with the What Works podcast, where uh, you know I'm having conversations like this with people, um, that's one way that I do that. But it also in our small business owner community, the What Works Network, that's what we do. Um, we host uh, a gathering of small business owners coming together in our mighty network, at, uh, you know, sort of in the, our on-demand community platform. And then we host lots of community events where I get to jam with people from all over the world cool. about how they run their businesses and how they lead themselves. Um, and so that's, that is my life. I am immersed <laughs> in this idea of bringing people together around common interests and compelling conversations. And like you said, I think now, you know, it has been an important part of how the internet works for decades, but now we are really starting to see just how important it is, I think, to how we communicate with each other, how we continue the fabric of society even. Um, so it's, it's an exciting time to be in community as much as it is, you know, a nerve wracking time at the same time. I love how you put that. Yeah, it's great that you've been in community for so long. So, you know, you can, people can, I don't know if you're okay with people calling you an expert in community, but that's what it seems like you're, you've been in this, in this industry, you, you, you're, you're thriving it, you've been living in it. That's why, you know, let's dig into community. One of the first things that I want to talk about, and you suggested it as a topic to talk about, it's the difference between building community and content marketing. Um, a lot of folks, one, one of the misconceptions I hear is, great, once you have a community, uh, you don't have to create content anymore. The, use, the, the team or the people or the users will generate their own content. It'll, it'll, just, it'll just be there, it'll self-propagating, but often that's, not, that's usually a misconception, would you say? Or what would be the difference between building a community and, and content marketing? Yeah, so so I would say in broad strokes the biggest difference between community and content marketing is how the conversation flows. So if we're thinking about content marketing as conversation, it is typically a broadcast from the one, from the creator to the consumer, right? Um, and so even when you are listening to your audience, even when you're soliciting their responses, it's still just this very um, kind of creator to consumer, maybe consumer to creator back, but it's this kind of back and forth conversation. Whereas with community, it's distributed or ideally with community, the conversation is distributed. So whereas I might create content to start a conversation and I might get comments back and responses back to that, what I'm really trying to do is seed a conversation that goes beyond the piece of content that I have created and connects people with each other. So again, typically with content marketing, my goal is, you know, because I do content content marketing in addition to community building. When I'm creating content for our marketing, my goal is to create a connection between me and my brand and, and what we do with the potential customer, just like anybody does. And so, but it's just that single connection and is always connecting back to me. With community, my goal is to get myself as much out of the connections as possible and find ways to get people connecting to each other. So if you do, you know, if you kind of think of it as in content marketing, there's kind of one line of communication between me and the person I'm communicating with, whereas in community, it's almost more like a spider web. Um, and, uh, and maybe even spider web isn't even right, the right thing because we typically think of that as having a hub and there being a spider in the middle of it. And I'm trying to not be the spider in the middle of the hub, right? Like that's literally my goal is to not have the conversation revolve around me, but instead can be completely distributed to our members, which is really hard. And I'm not saying I do it, you know, extremely well, but that's always the motivation behind the work that we do inside of the community, whether that's creating content or hosting events or, you know, bringing people together for like a roundtable discussion. It's those connections between people that we're looking for. And that really is the biggest difference between those two things. Mm. That's so good. That totally makes sense. I love how you put that. It's it, the, the, the content marketing is mainly one way. Usually, one one broadcast and and community is a two sided conversation. I I often find that um, 
that it starts off with us as, as, as an uh, trying to build an audience first before you is before you kind of build that two two way conversation with a community. Is that is that what you find that is that what happened with what works where you you did kind of build that uh, that audience first with the podcast and newsletter and then then you built off the what works network. Um. So. Uh, this is it. So this gets into like the long path of my story. <laughs> and so, um, sort of, and I, but I think what might be a better example, and then I can speak to how specifically it's worked with what works. But when I was starting, when I was very first getting started online as someone who was creating things and trying to get some sort of business, something or other started, um, I started a blog, but the way I built the audience for the blog was by building community. Now, full disclosure, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing at the time. <laughs> but what I realized in hindsight was a phenomenal strategy. So I started a blog. The blog was specifically, it was about um, crafting, craft and makers in uh, the state that I live in. So Pennsylvania. And um, so there was sort of a community focus to the blog built right into it, which was really smart that I had no idea it was a good idea at the time, but it was a really good idea. And then to find readers for the site um, and to find people to feature on the site as well, I started reaching out to mm. craft and makers that I could yeah. find online and bringing them together in what was not a Facebook group at the time. It was the thing that came before Facebook groups because um, this was back in... Uh, 2009. Um, and so bringing those people together and introducing them to them to each other was what really actually supercharged my audience growth at the beginning of that process. So there was commute. So the community building was actually first and the community helped me build the audience, which was awesome. Then over time, things evolved. I, you know, I've done lots of different things in between that original blog and now what has become the What Works Network. And so it, for me, it's always hard to sort of pinpoint the origin story of the What Works Network, especially as it relates to what came first, because so many different things came first. So I did have an audience um, as, you know, to, to kind of launch into that. But for me, it always comes down to the people who have the, the closer ties, the people who are connected to each other and what they empower you to create as a community builder. And so audience is part of that. They can help you build an audience. They have helped me build an audience over the last decade. Um, but it, but it also it's not like, I don't know. There were, you know, there were so many other things that I was doing to build audience too that have allowed me to further build the community. So it's very kind of organic, very hand in hand. Um, yeah, I'm trying to, I feel like there was something else that I wanted to, to say there and I've lost my train of thought. But uh, I do typically recommend when people are talking to me about starting a community for their business that yes, they build an audience first, that they have some way of attracting new people toward their brand, new people toward the thing that they're doing. And at the same time, realizing that one of the absolute best ways to start a community is to not so much think of it as a community, but think of it as a small gathering of people, throwing a party, um, you know, bringing people together around a particular pain point, a particular interest, a particular goal, even if it's just bringing five or 10 or 15 people together. You know, when we think about community, we think about, you know, hundreds or thousands of people coming together and, and hanging out online. But communities start as these little seed groups. And you don't need a big audience to create one of those seed groups. You don't need any audience at all. And so I think some of the strongest communities online have actually um, kind of uh, emerged organically from those connections between people, as opposed to you know some sort of strategy of building an audience through content marketing and then bringing them into a community. That works, but it also works the other way. It just goes slowly, or can go slowly. 
When we come back in just a moment, Tara shares how she figured out the right mix of content to make sure that members get a ton of value out of her community. Just a quick thanks to our sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. A 42 Agency works with high growth B2B SaaS companies, helping them build and scale revenue marketing operations that accelerate demand generation and pipeline growth. They've worked with some amazing companies like OnFleet, HubDoc, GuestLogic, Flexiday, and more. And to top it off, I actually know the founder of 42 Agency, Camille Rexton, and he knows his stuff. So go reach out to him. You can, he's actually offering a free $500 consulting time for Grow Today listeners. You can visit them at growtoday.fm forward slash 42 or find the link in the description. It'll redirect to their, this special offer. One more thing, don't forget to download the free growth cheat sheet for this episode. It has all the actionable tips from this episode in a one-page PDF. Why take notes when you can just steal mine? You can take all the actionable tips from this episode and apply it to your business to accelerate the growth even faster. You can find the link in the description of this show. Download it now before I take it away because it'll only be up until next week. Enough about this, let's jump back into my chat with Tara. I love that idea of gathering and, and having a party because it it you know, usually people have been to a party hopefully or they've yeah. <laughs> uh, thrown a party at some point and it makes it more uh, real to like instead of instead of like building a community which is like sometimes this black box and can have like this uh, this baggage attached to it just throwing a gathering uh, makes sense and that's where the connection comes in right like you're you talk about building that connection when you're at a party like that's what you're hoping you're inviting people that you hope to uh that, that talk to talk to each other right or it'll be a, it'll be a boring party right yeah exactly and you know i think that this distinction between you know bringing people together for something like a party and building a community is important too because community is a huge commitment if you are intentional about setting out to build a community you are committing to a a just ginormous task. And that can that can stop a lot of people. Just that idea of like, well, if I build this, then you know, what happens if I don't like it? What happens if there's drama? What happens if it like there's so many what ifs that can happen because of the commitment of the idea of building a community. And so when you're thinking about building a party or creating a party, gathering a party, the commitment is much smaller. And so it's a great way to experiment with the kinds of people you want to bring together, the kinds of conversations you want to have, the kind of experiences you want to design. And so you can do these kind of one-off things. You can see, does this work? Does this work? Do I like this? Do I not like this? Do they like this? Do they not like this? You can play with it a lot more and then let the community grow from that. And it'll be something, if you, you know, at as it grows organically, you will find then that it is something that is much easier to make a commitment to because the, like the commitment is already there. The commitment is what is making it happen. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. I love that distinction. You, you're talking a little bit about that commitment already, but they're saying, you know, you better count your costs before you go all in. What is what is yes. the cost involved? Like what is, you know, you've, you've, been part of communities and you've grown communities and you have the what works community. What are some things that you know, people who are like building a community, thinking about building a community should be thinking about and like realizing this is, Hey, this is what's involved. be ready for, be ready for it. Yeah, it is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say the two biggest investments um, are a time commitment for sure. Communities take time, especially at the beginning when they are, when they tend to be small, uh, as the leader, there is a lot of time involved, not just in creating content. I actually think people spend too much time creating content, but there's, um, there's a large time commitment of keeping the conversation going, connecting people, responding to things, um, asking questions. That's a big time commitment. Even if, and so even if you're building this on the side or you're building it as part of a larger marketing strategy, that is a, that's something to think about for sure. It's not just something you can throw money at. It takes time and it, it takes human involvement to make it work. Similarly, the other big investment is emotional. And I think this is something that community builders are really finding right now, especially people need 
support. And I think even in brand communities, but definitely in any kind of community that's built around the idea of support, there's like the thing that we actually support them on, right? Like I support small business owners on building stronger businesses. And there's a huge emotional component to that, right? Like right now we have small business owners bringing to our community how burnt out they are because they're homeschooling their kids while they're trying to run their business and it's too much, right? Or their their business is doing fine, but they are constantly anxious about the economy tanking and them losing their business, right? Even, even though that's not necessarily happening, they bring that anxiety to the community. And the thing is, I want them to bring that, right? I want them to bring their whole selves. I want them to bring what's going on in their heads into the community because that's part of building a stronger business. It's part of why we're there for them. And also, it is really taxing, right? And I think it's important to acknowledge and recognize that as a community builder and leader that there is going to be a significant emotional uh, investment that you make in supporting people. And it's something that I think people really need to wrestle with objectively. Is this, the, is this a good investment for you? Do you have the emotional capacity and bandwidth to invest in supporting a community? Because not all of us do. And honestly, if you would have asked me at the beginning of this year, if I had the emotional capacity and bandwidth to support people through what has happened this year, I would have said no. <laughs> I have found it and I am exhausted. Um, but that's the truth. And I, and I think that that's really important uh, to, to acknowledge. So then after we get through the time investment and the emotional investment, then we can start kind of talking about the financial investment as well. Because there are ways that financially we can um, sort of balance that time and emotional component as well. So for me, that's meant making sure that I have a community team so that I am not the only one investing my time and investing my uh, emotional labor as well. So we have a community manager, we have a member experience specialist, we have people that work uh, work with us. We have, um, you know, members in our community who are not formally deputized, but certainly understand their role, and we talk with them um, about that. And so, you know, that's a that's part of it too. But there's a financial investment, obviously, to supporting those people, um, and that's something I think to consider as well. So those are the those are the three yeah. big investments, and I don't think they're necessarily the top of mind things for people when they, they think not. about building a community, <laughs> especially the. <laughs> second one like you you're yeah. right like it it, it becomes it there's an emotional investment there because there will be a point where you don't see these people as just community members they become your friends and you do yes. want to you know help them out and like you have to listen and, and really care for them i i want to talk about the last point about the team i never really thought about that like you have grown there's a point where you know, you've grown this community enough where like you, you can't do it so solo anymore, you know, mm -hmm. like you have to have built a team. You talked a little bit about community manager and member success. Uh, which one did you hire for? So I'm curious, like what, where was, once you've grown it to a point, what was the biggest need that you say, Hey, I need, I need somebody to help me out here. Yeah. Um, I would say the biggest need I had was actually that second piece, the emotional capacity component, um, because you know, a huge part of my job is being, I, I don't know, the, the word I'm going to use is stoic. I wouldn't necessarily call myself stoic, but part of my role is being the stoic leader, right? Part of my role is being willing to stand in front of the audience or stand in front of the community and say, all right, guys, th this is what we're doing together this month, this year, this quarter, whatever it might be. And that is its own role. And there is, there is certainly an emotional investment that I make doing that. And there, there are things that I need to, that I want to do um, with the emotional labor component of that. And also... I recognized that I needed to have someone in there who could be loving up on people in a way that I don't, like, it's not necessarily my role as the quote unquote stoic leader. Again, I am not actually applying that label to myself, <laughs> but I understand that that is kind of the role that I play. Um, and so I wanted to hire someone who could be that person inside who was just a, a 
people person, right, who is energized by the emotional investment in our community. And I also really wanted someone who could see the operational side of that as well. So our community uh, advocate, our community manager, is essentially has this sort of two-sided job where she is very much the people person that is in there and literally getting paid to just you know, connect with people and love on people and make people feel seen and make them feel like they belong because they do. And have her thinking about this, the other side of this role, have her thinking about how do we systematize this? How do we track this? How do we um, build policies and talk about expectations and build onboarding that makes this easier? It doesn't remove the responsibility of the human element. That's a really important piece for us. It's actually baked into our values and policies. But there are also very operational things that we can do to make it work better, to make it easier, to, to make it uh, connect with more people who maybe aren't necessarily wanting to be loved up on our, by our community <laughs> manager, but do want to feel like they belong in this community. So we're always looking at that, uh, the, the two sides of that role and really trying to optimize both sides of that role. Um, so that's that's where we started. And then we realized um, pretty quickly that she also needed help too. <laughs> that, that that's a big job. Yeah. Um, and so, we, so she's full-time and then we have a part-time member experience specialist. And her job is almost exclusively the loving up piece. It's direct messaging people. It's helping them find what they need to find. It's answering their questions about the community. Um, it's just really being like the go-to person, uh, especially for new members, but even for ongoing members as well. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the, the, the whole people piece for us. That totally makes sense. Uh, and I just had a follow-up question about that piece for the community manager about, you said, um, making people feel seen and feel like mm -hmm. they belong. How, how, what are some maybe systems or like what kind of things do this the, that community manager or yourself do to make sure that, you know, when people do join that community, it isn't just like, oh, I'm part of this community. It's like getting to that party and like you don't know anybody. And like, how do you, how do you make sure that the new members feel seen and they feel heard. Yeah. So the very first thing we do with new members, we mm. call hand welcoming. Mm. Um, so we do have automated welcoming and automated onboarding, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the, the very first thing, it's not always the first thing they receive, but like first on our list is making sure that every single new member gets a message from our member experience specialist that's customized for them, right? So she looks at their new member profile. She sees if there's anything in particular that they, that might be helpful to them. And then she shares our member handbook. She shares some links to getting started with, you know, what we're working Working on in the community that month. Um, and then also just offers herself up, like I said, as that point person. If you need anything, if you if you can't find something, let me know. I will find it for you. Um, and so that hand welcoming piece is huge for us. Similarly, we offer all of our new members a 30-minute uh, complimentary call with Shannon, our community manager. Um, so that's another way that they can feel uh, seen and, and really get a better sense of their belonging in the community. And then uh, our onboarding sequence, I think, is another way that we actually help people feel seen. Um, and one of the pieces of that is making sure that we put our community values front and uh, center for them. It's not the very first email. There's some logistical things that we do get out of the way first uh, because we want them to actually dig in and, you know, uh, you know, fill out their profile and things like that. But shortly thereafter, we put our community values uh, into their inbox so that they see those because they're they're different than a lot of places they've been online. And so our values are important to us, but the value, and they're important to how the community works, but they're also important because the values help people feel seen. Because we 
we have strategically chosen our values. Like these are the things that we stand for. These are the things that we want our community to be different. And we've also looked at the interactions that happen in our community, the culture that's developed from the ground up. And we've tried to name the values that we see as important to our members as well. So there's been a top-down element and a bottom-up element to how we name our values and how we talk about our values. And so because there, there is this um, sort of grassroots component to our values, just naming those things help people feel like, oh, this is where I want to be. These are the things that are important to me too. And so that's a very, very leveraged way of helping people feel seen and helping them feel like they belong. And then the last thing, um, I mean, we do all sorts of things, but the last thing I'll talk about in terms of feeling seen and feeling like they belong is that we are uh, extremely aware and focused on uh, representation in the community. So yes, certainly from um, a uh, you know racial diversity, uh, gender diversity, sexuality diversity, age diversity perspective, like all of those things that you see on the outside. Um, but we're also focused on it from like a business standpoint? What are the diversity of business models that are in the community, the diversity of marketing styles that are in the community, the diversity of revenue brackets that are in our community? We want to make sure that we're showcasing people that represent that whole spectrum as well. And so we're, we're constantly thinking about, all right, how can we surface um, people who come from this background or this business model or this industry, who are we not seeing here? Who isn't represented right now? And how can we better represent those folks so that, you know, the 10 other people or the hundred other people in the community who have something in common with them can see themselves in that person or in that business as well. And then therefore see, feel a little more seen and feel a little bit more of a sense of belonging mm. as well. I love it. Yeah. These are stuff that I've never really thought about, but like good communities do th do these things that I, that I've been part of. Like they, they do look, look at all those things that you, you just mentioned. I, I, I want to shift gears and actually it's not shifting gears. It's more a question about the values and the rules that you have. Like, I'm curious what, how you moderate, like how the community manager moderate the, the community. Let's say somebody breaks one of the rules or like goes against one of the values. An example could be somebody just continually posting up self-promoting links or something that, that, that doesn't align with, with the rules. Like how, how, what does that look like? Like, do you send a private message or like you just take it down right away? What are, what are some ways to moderate the, the community? Yeah. So we are very lucky that this is actually, I shouldn't say lucky. We have worked really hard to make sure that this is not a problem that we run into very often. And we have, we don't run into this problem very often, but I can tell you what we do when, when it does happen. Um, so our first, uh, I was going to say line of defense, but that sounds awful. That is not what I mean. <laughs> like our first response to when we see something that's off and it's, and if it is just off. Like, eh, that was a little <laughs> weird or that doesn't really fit here. That's like, that's right. what we're looking for. That is a direct message. So Shannon or Kristen will direct message that person and say, Hey, this is a little off. Here's how you could change this post, or here's some ideas for how you could shift this so that it's more in line with the culture that we have in the community. People love that. That is the number one way that we address things. And, and most of the time, that is all we ever need to do. And it, again, it, does, it just doesn't happen that often. So that's, that's for something that just feels a little off. If something is blatantly against the rules, um, we will actually address it often publicly because we want to make sure that we are modeling that this is something that we are actively moderating. We are in our community all the time, <laughs> and but we want people to know that, right? Because it's that is not normal in the industry in which we operate in. A lot of people in our industry, uh, in the small business support uh, kind of sphere, start communities so that they don't have to be there. That is not why we started a community. We started a community because we like to be in community with people and we want them to know that we are there and that we are actively moderating. And so we'll have a little bit of a moderation discussion um, in public in response to something that's a little bit more blatantly breaking the rules. As long as 
the rule that has been broken hasn't caused direct harm to, you know, maybe the original poster or other people who might be seeing it. If we see something that is causing harm that we can say, you know, and obviously there's a lot of gray area there. And I'm sure that there are things that we miss um, that are, you know, that have rubbed people the wrong way, who have made people feel uncomfortable for sure. But when we see something where we can unequivocally say, this is causing harm, this is offensive, this is, um, this is not okay, this is not in line with, with what we want to have in this community, we, I, I, we have no problem with deleting things. And again, that happens extremely rarely. Uh, it's happened maybe twice in the last three years. Um, But our policy is that we have no problem deleting things that cause harm um, or that, that make people uncomfortable in a way that is, is not okay. Like, obviously we're okay with people being uncomfortable when that leads to growth. We're not okay with people being uncomfortable where that leads to anxiety or, um, you know, yeah, harm. Harm, I think it's just the easiest way to put it. So that's kind of how the three ways we approach things and how we decide what is our approach going to be to this particular incident. That's, yeah, that's so true. And I think it kind of goes back to maybe maybe the reason why it's only happened twice in the last three years for your community is you're onboarding people so well in the beginning that they know the values and the rules that they probably understand those things before they even break the rules like often people I, I, maybe i see the good in people like they they, they break the rules because they didn't know the rules in the first place right yeah absolutely absolutely and you know so our rules are one of the p- reasons people want to show up in our community right that's what we hear i literally just um my meeting before this call was with our community manager and she was telling me about the three new members she talked to this week who all said we wanted to be here because we know you have different rules. We've been other places. It was a mess. There was so much drama. I got harassed. I, you know, people wow. took my money and didn't didn't deliver product. And that's why we wanted to be here because we know that this place is different. So even if they haven't gone through the onboarding sequence, they've gotten the message. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this place is different. Yeah. Um, and that is part of our marketing. Literally, this place is different. Here's why. Here's how. Um, and and asking our members to speak to that as well. So that that's part of it. Um, and you know, another reason is people have to pay to get in. You know, I think we would have a lot more challenges uh, with this if it was a free community, no matter how well we did with onboarding, no matter how well we did with creating, uh, you know, safe spaces and creating a, a good container, we would have more challenges if it was a free group. But because it is not free, it is paid, it is not cheap, um, it is on a different platform. So I think also the fact that we are not a Facebook group and that we have a private dedicated platform gives us a lot more room to set expectations early and to set them often. They're not carrying with them all that junk that that naturally comes from being in a, you know, when you're in a Facebook group, you're on Facebook, the junk mm. is all around you, <laughs> right? And you bring that it's to true. the conversations, even, even though the group is separate, even though the group is private, even though you know the people in the group, you are bringing that Facebook junk with you. We don't have to worry about that. So that is also a big piece. So there's a lot that we've done proactively, um, or there is a lot we do proactively in terms of onboarding and moderation. And then there are also a lot of just foundational choices that we've made that set us up for success in terms of not having those problems more often. I, I a follow-up question to, to that. You talked about the platform. I, I, I'm, I, I always get burned sometimes when I ask for tools uh, to my podcast guests, but what is that platform that you're using and which one did you look at um, and what do you like ab- about it? So we are using a platform called Mighty Networks um, and it was founded by a woman named Gina Bianchini, who also co-founded Ning way back in the internet day, wow. <laughs> <laughs> which was a similar similar kind of thing. Um, and, and so she has brought with her to Mighty Networks this uh, incredible vision for these interest-based private uh, communities, this... Um, 
you know, sort of small social, uh, small social media is what she's super interested in. And, uh, and so we love that ethos. We love, uh, you know, every, the vision that she has. Uh, and it, so it was a really natural fit for us. When we were looking for platforms, we also looked at Vanilla Forums, uh, which was one of the other, only other kind of private community uh, things that wasn't just like a WordPress plugin. I've tried that before. It was a mess. <laughs> I know it's not as much of a mess now, yeah. I think, but then it was a big mess. Now there are so many other great options. Mighty Networks is one of a bunch of private community platforms that I think are very good and we love Mighty Networks. I love recommending Mighty Networks. Um, they're a sponsor for the podcast. Um, and, and so that's, that's what we use. Uh, but there are so many great options out there right now too. Okay, that's cool. I'm just checking out the Mighty Networks website and uh, you're, you're a testimonial there. So that's cool. That, that gives yeah. me more, <laughs> more confidence. I, that's exactly what I was looking for. One of the clients I'm working with, like what should we build this? And I'm going to check out Mighty Networks. Thanks for that. Yeah, Sorry, well, feel free to, to pick my brain. I love talking to people about Mighty Networks. <laughs> sure. Uh, I want to sh shift gears uh, a little bit. And I, I saw with WetWorks community that you're adding a lot of value to your community members. You have the monthly events. You have the Insider Hour, monthly coaching, masterminds, action planning kit. This is the stuff I found on the website. I'm sure there's a lot more. But how did you figure out the right kind of mix of things that... Uh, you that that your community members would would find valuable. Is it just talking to the community members, or is it just something that you wish that you had when you were um, in their shoes? Well, it is all of those things, and it is a constant <laughs> conversation mm. of what is the right mix of things. So I would say that we. While I feel really good about the mix of things that we have, and it's right for us right now, it is also one of those things that I am always open to change. Uh, like right, literally right now, um, we are about to start experimenting with doing some co-working sessions uh, for our members where our community manager would open up a Zoom room. Everybody kind of checks in, sits quietly, does their work, and then comes back together at the end. But, you know, they've got this time to, to co-work together. Um, it's not something I would ever use, <laughs> but I know people love it and they've asked for it. So we're willing to experiment with it and see, like, is, are you going to use it or are you going to show up or are you gonna, not going to show up? Is this valuable to you or is it not valuable to you? Because just because someone asks for it does not necessarily mean they will use it and that it is valuable to them, which is another lesson that we have learned over the years. Um, but yeah, it's, it is a constant process of experimentation. It's a constant process of listening. Um, and it's a constant process of me checking in too and saying, what do these people need that they don't even know they need? Right. Um, and so that, that's another piece too, but I'm just, I'm always looking at like, where are they getting stuck? What is making them feel like they're spinning their wheels? What is making um, things harder than they have to be? Where could we add some grease to the wheels? Um, so that's that's kind of our approach to the mix of things that we offer. Um, but at the but I think another piece of this that's important to to say too is that unlike putting together an online course where I might expect or might hope that everybody does everything right, like you watch all the videos in the modules, you come to the coaching sessions, you participate in the forum, you do all the things because that's what's going to help you learn this thing you say you want to learn. With the community, with the What Works Network, my goal is not to create a suite of things, a suite of features that everyone is going to use every single time. And if that was my expectation, I would be very heartbroken uh, with the results. My goal is to provide opportunities for people to gather, for people to get support, for them to experience structure in a way that works for them. And so we do have, you know, we have... Um, our members are diverse, not just in background and business model, but they're also diverse in, you know, introverts and extroverts. They're diverse in their facility with online tools, how they like to show up online. They're uh, diverse in whether they have kids or not, whether this is their full-time gig or not. And so we want to make, oh, and where they are in the world, which also makes, you know, live event planning kind of challenging. <laughs> so our goal is to provide a mix of things so that they can try 
a couple of things, a few things every month and find the mix that works for them within our mix. So we do a lot of things that not everybody goes to and that's fine. That's expected. That is that is how the thing works. And so that's the other piece that we're always thinking about too, is like, how do we make sure that we're covering the bases for people um, while also setting an expectation that they're going to pick out the things that are going to be best for them? Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I love how you put that all together. One of the other things that is I should have asked earlier is I'm, you know, how, how are you, uh, how are new members finding about this, uh, the what works network? Is it, mainly through the podcast or like, what are some, if I could put it like marketing channels or acquisition channels that people are finding about the network and actually joining? Yeah. So the podcast is definitely our number one, um, acquisition channel. Uh, it's hard to measure, but anecdotally that is our, our number one channel when we ask people, cause that's the best, you know, when a podcast is your main acquisition channel, as you probably know, that's it's almost impossible to track no matter how hard True. you try yep. to track it. <laughs> so we have to be really proactive about it and say, how did you hear about us? Oh, I listened to the podcast. And as soon as I heard the ad for the network, I knew I needed to join. Or as soon as you were opening enrollment again, I knew uh, you know, this was my time. Okay, great. So that's that's our number one acquisition channel. Um, the news, Our newsletter would be uh, the second. And then social media would be the third. Um, we do run ads or we're experimenting with ads. Ads are tough. Um, it's tough because we're a podcast-based marketing strategy and it's a community-based offer and just like the ROI on ads just isn't quite mm. there yet. Yeah. But we do use them to kind of amplify and accelerate what we're already doing. Um, so yeah, we put a ton of time and effort into the podcast. Um, my other company is a podcast production company. So we're always looking at like, how do we optimize for sales within the podcast? Uh, how do we make this the best marketing channel that it can be? Um, so that's, we're always looking there. I think our greatest opportunity in terms of where we find new members is um, kind of growing the uh, the the actual, the... Um, like the audience growth side. We're mm. really good at nurturing people once they find us and we're really good at converting people who have been nurtured. <laughs> we are not really great at growing audiences um, or I shouldn't say we're not really great at it. Um, I find it challenging in the community model. I used to be really good at it when I was selling, when I was doing more information marketing and coaching. I was really, cause I, you know, I can teach people and they will show up and give me their email addresses. Now teaching, which we really haven't gotten too much into this, but I actively avoid teaching now because it creates that one-way conversation like we started with. Yeah, and you're so right. As, yeah. yeah, and so as someone who is actively avoiding teaching and instead looking to start conversations, it is harder to get people's attention in an industry where people just want all of the information, right? It's like, well, I don't, I don't do information anymore. I will invite you into a conversation and we can talk about these things. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's been hard to grow that side of the marketing strategy, but the podcast is definitely the number one way we find new, new folks. Uh, that's good to hear. Like podcast listeners are like, once they listen to one of your podcast episodes and they get hooked, they listen to all your podcasts they're they're yes they are like they're they're uh loyal loyal those are that's a loyal audience right once they're hooked they're hooked in and they buy whatever you want right whatever yeah you yeah well you know there's such a misconception out there just to like derail onto podcasting for a moment <laughs> there's such a misconception that podcasts live at the top of your marketing and sales funnel and they don't mm. right like it's uh getting someone to listen to your podcast for the first time is hard, right? Because you're asking them to invest 45 minutes, an hour, even just 30 minutes in hearing from you. And that's like a, that's a really big ask mm. for anyone um, to take that much time out of their day or to make, you know, the sort of the opportunity cost of it. Like they're going to listen to you instead of the show that they always listen to at this time of day. That's a big ask. Um, so I like to make sure that everyone's thinking about their podcast more in the nurturing and conversion part of their marketing strategy as opposed to audience growth. Um, and I think a podcasts are extremely 
extremely underrated as a sales tool. Um, and so that's that's the podcasting hill that I will die on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I've, I've also been in the podcasting space now for, you know, I've been doing this podcast for three years now. So I'm 100% with you. I think I, I wish people awesome. would do that more, <laughs> more often. <laughs> I want to start wrapping up and we've talked a lot about different things about community. You shared so much insights. Uh, If you can like just give one or two or even three uh, pieces of advice to people who are thinking about starting a community, whether that's for their own business or maybe for a business that they're working for, uh, a brand that they're working with, what would be those, those advice that you would give to those folks? Yeah. Um, I think the first piece of advice, and we've talked about this a Mm. little bit, but I think it's good to come back to it. The first piece of advice that I would offer is to not be afraid to establish rules um, and to establish policies. Um, And this, you know, I'm kind of borrowing some ideas from a book that I recommend to anyone thinking about uh, building a community or, or taking their community to the next level, which is called The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. It's actually a book literally about hosting events, but it is completely uh, helpful, completely aligned with building a community online or offline as well. Um, and she talks in that book about the importance of pop-up rules. And she uses pop-up rules um, very specifically to circumvent the idea that etiquette tells us all everything we need to know about properly interacting with people. And she talks about how etiquette um, uh, is sort of, it stops inclusion. If everyone has to be on the same page with what the rules are, then people from other cultures, and we can think about them that in terms of like, um, Uh, societal cultures, but we can also think about it in terms of just internet cultures, right? We know how many different internet cultures there are. We don't know how many different internet cultures there are. (laughs) It's vast, right? And we all have a different idea of what is proper etiquette within our individual internet culture. And so by establishing a clear set of pop-up rules for your community, for your event, you are allowing people from multiple different Uh, internet cultures or societal cultures to come together under a shared understanding. And the more we do that, the more everybody can relax a little bit with the expectation that that there is going to be a certain type of behavior, there's a certain expectation of them in showing up. And it just creates, even though, even though it can be a little awkward to be like, these are the rules, Mm. guys. It is so worth it. And rules are no substitute for active moderation and active hosting as well. So at the same time, we're establishing a clear set of pop-up rules or a clear set of policies. We also need to be willing to be the one to say that breaks the rules or that's not exactly in line with the rules. Here's a better way to go about doing that. And that that's, that's hard, but it's important uh, and it's worth it. The other piece of advice that I would offer as a computer, as a community leader and builder is to learn to sit on your hands more. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And what I mean by that is that as someone who is passionate about the group of people that you are bringing together, as someone who is really excited about the potential of your community, it is really easy to jump into every conversation, to answer every question, but the best community interactions and and the best communities as as they grow organically, as they develop their culture organically, happen when the leader takes a little bit of a step back and allows folks who are in the community to step into leadership in that community. But as leaders, we have to be willing to shut up <laughs> to let that happen. Otherwise, people will just assume we will fill the void. If we don't fill the void, though, they will. And that's where the magic really happens. So set pop-up rules and sit on your hands. Those are my two biggest pieces of advice. So good. And thank you for sharing that book advice. That that was, uh, uh, what is that? The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Yes. I just bought it. <laughs> I just added it to oh, my, yes. just my Amazon account. Just, it's on the way now. It's but. so good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's that's it. It's a final question. What is your what? You no, know, this is your time for a call to action. Where do you want people to find out more about you about? 
the what works podcast and the network like where do you want my listeners to go to find out more about you and your work yeah well the easiest place since you're already listening to this podcast is to just go back to your podcast <laughs> app and find what works in there all you have to do is search for what works will pop right up um and if you want to find out more about the network you can go to explorewhatworks.com and there's information about the network and all the things that we do there our weekly newsletter and all that good stuff um but i always recommend people start with the podcast. Um, I think it's, I love our podcast. I love what we do with it. I'm so proud of it. And it also is just a really good uh, introduction to how we do things in also a very valuable way. Really fascinating. Well, I will make sure to add that link to the, the show notes so that people can find out about the podcast as well. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tara. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. This was so much fun. Well, that's it for this show. I just want to remind you once again that Tara shared so much insights about how to grow a paid membership business. In this episode, why take notes when you can just steal mine, get all the actionable tips in this episode in a one-page PDF and apply it to your business to accelerate the growth. Go to growtoday.fm forward slash 119 to get it now or you can find the link in the description. Once again, this will stay up forever. When I publish the next week's episode, I'll take away this week's cheat sheet forever. Before we end, I just want to thank the sponsor for this episode. Now, 42 Agency works with high-growth B2B SaaS companies, helping them build and scale revenue and marketing operations that accelerate demand generation and pipeline growth. Learn more and get $500 in free consulting time. Visit them at growtoday.fm forward slash 42 or find the link in the description. Please also support me. There's three easy ways. First, you can share a quote on Twitter or LinkedIn or tell a friend about this podcast. This is how shows like this grow. It's when people who like it tell their friends about it or their colleagues. Second, you can join the Grow Today mailing list. You'll get a cheat sheet directly emailed to you. I also tell you who my next guests are and you can ask questions via email. And third, leave a review on Apple Podcasts so other people can find out more about this show. Even if you're not an Apple fan person, you can just leave a review, a five-star review would really help get the show uh, out into the world even more. Well, that's it for this episode. Until the next one, this is your host, Ramley John. Keep safe and as always, keep on growing. Okay.